he is a true man of God. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He's burning with the fire of God. And, uh, and I just want to honor you tonight, Ben. I want to honor you as a brother, as a friend, and as a fellow minister, and uh, as a leader in, in not only in this nation, but in the nations of the world. And so I really want to encourage all of us. Let's stand to our feet, and let's give Ben a, a clap right now. and Just welcome him. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Praise God. We've decided because of this thing that happened with COVID, we couldn't meet, we couldn't do this. And uh, we wanted to continue to do more Awakening Australia. So next year, we're doing it, and it's going to be in Queensland, 2024. So the whole country, we're going to have thousands of people coming like we had last time. But if you've never been to an Awakening event, it's not just a conference where you come, you clap, you give an offering, you go home. This is a full contact 24-7 event where we're seven days flooding the city. There's like 60 outreaches like a day. <laughs> so it's very, very crazy, very deep, very wild, and uh, thousands of people hear the gospel. Literally, we have the ability to face-to-face share the gospel with well over 30,000, 40,000 people so, who don't know Jesus. So that's wonderful, and we'll flood this whole region of Queensland, particularly the Brisbane Gold Coast area, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So, so we just invite you to be a part of it. Uh, many churches will be a part of it. Many leaders from around the world, all of our friends. I remember when we did the last one, uh, all those people like Brother you and all that Jeremy Riddle, all those people are like, let's go. Let's, let's believe for the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. But I, again, I love what Josh said. It's not just about us coming to church. We need, really, if you look at Scripture, you cannot deny the action of the gospel. In fact, the book of Acts, the first translation in Spanish says the book of God's actions. It's all about us acting on, on the faith we have, living the faith we have. And so uh, we are very excited about next year, 2024. So this is Marcel. He's our European event coordinator. And this is Braidwood, our Australian event coordinator. So if you have any more questions, interestingly, God, God planned this. They, they both have blonde hair. They're both about the same height. I don't know how it works that way. God planned it. But, um, but if you have any questions later tonight, please ask them. But you'll hear more about what's happening. And the whole nation will come here. We had a guy from Tasmania, who has a radio station the other day. He, he flew all the way to hear us talk about it on the Sunshine Coast. And he said, um, he has a big radio station there. He said, well, I'll give you $25,000 worth of free advertising. He said, we'll bring th- like heaps of uh, Tasmanians. And I had, had a church pastor with many churches over there said, would you come here and pray for our country again and raise up Australians for the harvest again? And he said, and we'll all fly to Queensland. And so this would be a glorious thing next year. And it's not some Christian event who's who in the Christian zoo. I'm not interested one bit at all in doing some event. Even the title Awakening, we do not care if you forget it. We just want Jesus to be magnified and for Christians to have the fear of man broken off them. Because if the fear of man's on Christians, the army is very disabled and we need to be free and we can't just become heroes that preach the gospel in Africa and come home feeling like apostles because of an unfamiliar people group loved us. But here we become so shy and timid and intimidated around people. And if there's one thing I love about Australians is that we're very real. People tell you, you go to America, you say, Jesus loves you. God bless you, brother, you too. And you find out that guy's a meth dealer. You know, and, and you don't, there's a lot of Christian, Christianese that is attached to nationalism. But here, if you say Jesus loves you, they go, they, <laughs> you, you never know what you'll get. And uh, I've, got, I've gotten a lot of funny reactions the last two weeks. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad to be home. It's a humbling place. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we're going to make sure that we really flood the streets with Jesus. Can you imagine it? Just seven, seven days, just everywhere you go. I remember I met a girl for coffee two days after Marvel Stadium. There's over 20,000 people there every day. And I met a girl, and she was one of the girls outside her apartment smoking in Melbourne City near the stadium. Someone just handed her a free ticket with Todd White's dreadlocks. It says, I was shot at nine times, but I survived. Come to the stadium and hear why. And she came, and she was born again. And her whole life was being transformed in this time. And I met her and she was just a mess, weeping, couldn't believe that how God was changing her life. And so there's thousands of Australians in this region, just like Elise said, Burley and all these other places that need the gospel. So we really invite you to be a part of that. And you're going to hear more about that in the coming days. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You guys are great. All right. I don't want to keep you too long, but I want this sword to cut really deep. Uh, Josh and I did not talk about, one, it's, by the way, it's a huge honor to be here, Pastor Josh, <laughs> and, and Pastor Elise, and the boys, it's an honor to, I, I haven't seen them in eight years, I think, right, 
seven years? Yeah, so I said to Harry, I think it was, or I can't remember who I said it to, Elijah or Harry. I was like, do you remember me? And he's like, hmm, not sure. And that's, I've had a lot of schnitzels. I live in Germany. You know, I, I've put on a few chickens, just to say the least. I used to fast a lot, and now I, I'm in the, you know, I'm in a feasting season. But, <laughs> but I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to lose a, a, some kilos, you know. God destroyed the Amorites. He can destroy the cellulites. Amen? So, <laughs> so... <laughs> So the Lord has been taking me on this crazy journey, and I spoke a bit about this in Numa Church, but when we were preaching down there a few weeks ago, the power of the Lord hit, and I couldn't really talk about it. The Spirit was moving too heavily, and prophecy, and, and kind of deliverance, and people being anointed for the mission, and I couldn't really get deep into it, but tonight I want to, and it should take me no longer than 30 minutes, but I do believe if you listen with ears to hear, the Spirit of the Lord will say something to you. Josh and I did not talk about what I'd share, and yet he was right in the flow of what I felt like God wanted me to share. Would you turn your Bible open to Revelation chapter 3? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, oh, I thought this would be one of those encouraging meetings. <laughs> it will be. Uh, as a minister, I, I, um, I, I have a mandate between me and God. Um, and by the way, I have such amazing wild friends here, like Shah and all these other people, heroes, Pat Steele. These are heroes in Australia. And uh, I see a lot of old friends, just hungry people of God, Kyle Barnard, who you were singing his worship song before. And, um, and yeah, it's just, just encouraging to see Lee, see all these people on fire, you know. All right, so Revelation 3. So I have this mandate before you, to be honest. And to not just give you a sermon that you'll most likely forget. If I was to say to you, tell me the sermon you heard one month ago, 5% of you would remember. They've done statistics on this. They say that if you put like a, a thing on the screen when you preach, about 30% remember. But again, it goes away after like a month. We are so information filled. We are so words filled. Our Christianity can be very connected now because of media and all this stuff can be connected to who sounds the coolest, who dresses the drippiest, and I'm into that, but it can be very, it can be such a, it can be all about words. It can be all about who says the most powerful one-line statement, you know? God, God's looking for the hungry and the holy. We, we have these dumb euphemisms that have to have like three letters that rhyme and things, and, and, and it's, it's all, it's cool as long as it's your life. It's great as long as it's a fruit of how you live. And to preach motivational messages and get on Instagram and inspire hope isn't wrong, but I don't just want to be encouraged when I feel down. I want to be changed. And, and there's a difference between encouragement and change. They're connected. But I realized as a minister for many years now, I've been a preacher and probably about 13 years or something like that, or 11, I can't remember, when I was actually appointed as a preacher. But one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life is that I was denied being a preacher by Bethel Church. I went to Bethel in Redding, California. I did the school of ministry there. It was very powerful and uh, I was anointed. They could tell I, was, I had the anointing, especially of deliverance. And, um, you know, and a lot of demons would come out and even on the street outreaches I'd do and I'd film it. And I was one of those kind of early pioneers of YouTube. And, uh, you know, on planes, I was the plane guy preacher guy, and uh, stand up and preach on the plains, very bold, no fear of man, that kind of deal. But I had other areas of my life that were unsanctified. There were areas of my world that were not completely dealt with before God. And as Josh was sharing and as we closed worship, I was thinking through this tonight, I was like, you know, God, one of the frustrations I think people have is that they repent and then they fall back and then they re-repent and then they fall back and they feel terrible because they want to change, but there's something inside them that doesn't see it to completion. And I meet people personally traveling who 10 years later are in the same church and are going through similar processes they went through 10 years ago. And it's very sad. And the reason it's very sad is because there's this gold of God that was deposited by the Spirit a blueprint of their life and future, and it gets sabotaged. 
and it gets sabotaged by areas of their life. It may only be a few areas, but areas of their life that cripple them from their destiny. And so these kind of gregarious, anointed leaders don't become leaders. They become workers in a business. They, it's not wrong. Some of you are called to the business realm, but what I mean is I meet people 10 years down the, the track and they still struggle with porn. And I can relate to that because I was a Christian porn addict. And I would never admit I was an addict because it was only like once every three months. But the truth is I was, let's say this, I wasn't addicted as in it overtook me, but I was in a cycle where I was dishonest with God and myself. And I, I really struggled because I'd say, God, I don't want this. And that was partially true. But like this very famous prayer that was prayed by Corey Ten Boom, she said, I don't want to want this. She was more honest. I don't want to want it, but I do. She's like, I do want my life in my control, but I don't want to want it in my control anymore. I want to give it up somehow. And so there's a few things that I learned over the years about repentance. But the first thing about repentance is actually that you have to understand the, the shame. Like we, we spend so much time going, I break that shame off you. I, I actually think we need to pray for more shame. The Bible says that when someone's in sin, we should walk away from them, let them stay in sin that they may become ashamed. That's what Paul said. So he said, if someone's gonna live a double life and you just comfort their double life, you're doing more damage on, in their life. By breaking off shame, you're taking away conviction. You're taking away the, nece the necessity to change. And, and I went to Bethel and I was very anointed. And, and they saw that. And Bill Johnson even personally said, we need to keep him. But I had to go through an interview process to be a pastor in the BSSM school, which has 1,500 students. Well, I went through that process and they asked me one simple question. They didn't ask me, can you preach? They didn't ask me, can you teach? They didn't say, can you pray for the sick? They asked me one simple question. Have you surrendered your pornography? Are you victorious in this area of your life? And I couldn't lie. I said, no, but, and I did what we all do, but I'm this, this, this. It's only this much. You know, I, we kind of give portions of sin. That, that's a bit silly, because if you think about portions of sin, imagine if I said to you, I only lie to you once or twice a day. That's not too bad, right? You'd be like, that's a lie though. <laughs> but with pornography, we do this. We go, I'm on a journey. With rebellion to God. I'm in this broken relationship with this guy or girl, but I'm on a journey, God. You're just advertising to God your own rebellion. And I was doing this, and I was doing it in a smart way. I would have people come and lay hands on me, just pray, I need victory, and God still honors your cry out for, you're crying out for breakthrough. He honors that. He's not angry, but He can't give you the breakthrough. It's like, it's like someone saying, I'm thirsty, and every time God tries to pour water down their throat, they close their mouth. It's, it's a double negative. It's not going to work. And, and for me, I had justified this area of my life with options, just little options, not big ones. And so I got this amazing email after they said, you can be a pastor at Bethel. And the email said, we love you, Ben. You're anointed, Ben, but we will not be making you a pastor because we cannot trust you with people. And I felt instant shame. I'm like, but Bethel inside immediately, but Bethel Church is known for grace. But I haven't sinned too bad. But it's not that serious. I felt instant shame and self-defense. And I couldn't really do anything with that because these are like senior leader, big leaders of Reading. And I was just coming up into all this ministry stuff. And so I got angry. You've judged me. And how many people I meet who've left church because I said, the leader judged me. And the leader didn't judge them the leader touched the root of their idolatry. That's it. Because if, if, you're, if you're in idolatry, if you're in deep sin, and someone goes, that's not healthy, and then you're angry at them, you're not angry because of them. You're angry because you're protecting this. And I was mad because I felt ashamed, and I was protecting it. And so when I got to Reading, it got even worse. Three months later, I ended up there. I, they would not anoint me as a pastor. When I got there, one of the senior team who I didn't know from Bethel, the top guys, walked up to me in the coffee shop. He said, 
hey, good to see you. And I was like, hey, good to see you, you know. I was like, hey, he knows me. And then he said, how's your purity? And I was like, oh my goodness. I felt my heart just dropped into my feet. And I was like, the senior team at Bethel is talking about my purity. Bill Johnson knows about my purity. And I knew he knew. He knew I'd sexually sinned. I felt worse shame. So <laughs> that shame began to build up in me. It began to build up strongly inside me until it created a fork in me. See, sin and consequence and shame are good for you. Sin not, but consequence and shame. Because if everyone says, doesn't matter, God loves you. Well, it does matter. Your destiny is going to, you're going to lose it. It's like if you're married and, and someone said, well, God loves your marriage. You can cheat on her again. It doesn't matter. It does matter to God. And it will matter to your marriage as well. And, and so I had these kind of list of excuses and I had the scripture like that we call in the name of the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. 100% that's the truth. Until the spirit of the Lord changes the script of where you're at with God relationally. If you're just newly saved and you're still smoking cigarettes, God might wait three years before you really give it up. God might give you a window of grace. But if you've been saved for a couple of years now and you will not surrender the patterns of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Lord Jesus, then what does that show you? It shows you that I want Him, but I don't want Him to take over. I only want Him to sort of associate with my life. And so I figured out how to effectively repent. I figured a few things out. And so this is what I did. I woke up one morning after watching pornography, I believe, for the very last time. So by the way, I was freed. I had the addiction since eight years old, and I was freed in one day. In one day. And I had run through the forests of lawn. I had run through half of Victoria crying out, take this away, take that away. I had prayed for the sick. I'd cast out demons. I'd tried to raise the dead. I've done all those things. But I could not overcome this one area of my life. And, and, I, and I felt like I was the victim. No, I wasn't the victim. The victim of my sin was Jesus. It was his blood. It was his body that was broken for my sin. It wasn't me. I was just living in the outcome, the consequence. And God was so patient and merciful to me, so kind to me. But I realized something. The first thing you must do when you're in sin is you must do what Jesus says here in Revelation chapter 3. You ready? Jesus says, we'll start with um, verse 15. I know your works. You're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold because you're lukewarm, neither cold or hot. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. First thing you have to do, there is no secret sin. God sees where we're at. You can't lie anymore. You can't lie to yourself or to God. You can't tell God you're on a journey because he knows the fibers of your head. You don't even know yourself. God does. You don't know your real feelings. They could change tomorrow. We don't know ourselves deeply. The Spirit knows us. So God says, I know you. And then he says, verse 17, because you say I'm rich, wealthy, need nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, blind, poor, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. And what does gold speak about? Gold speaks about buy from me the purchase price of what it means from God's grace to walk through a trial. Trials turn to gold. Persecution creates gold in us. Buy from me gold. Buy from me what it means to deny the flesh. The grace to walk with God, even to trials, even like Hebrews says, even to the point of being beaten for the sake of your convictions. Buy from me gold, refined in the fire. And then he says this, that, you're, that you may, sorry, and white garments, so that's cleanness, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. So God is trying to cover our shame. He's trying to say, turn from sin. I don't want you to live in shame. But if you won't leave that place, you will have shame. We don't break it off. We don't go read people, well, we just break off shame. No, no, you break off shame when you're already holy, pure, clean, and you're being condemned. 
You're already godly. You're like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I love Jesus. I love people. And still the voice of the accuser is there. That's when you break off shame. Or the enemy reminds you of a 10-year-old sin you did. That's when you break off shame. But shame should be there when you sin. If I live watching porn and then preaching and watching porn, shouldn't I feel ashamed? I'm living a double life. It doesn't make sense. If you find a policeman out there is dealing cocaine when he finishes his shift, should he be ashamed? Of course, we'd be like, he doesn't deserve a badge, right? Yeah, because we're like, that doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's so simple, this. And so he says, then buy this from me, and I sell that you may see. Verse 19, as many as, this is so powerful. As many as I love. Jesus looking at like, I love you. I know your addictions. I know your denial of the truth, but I love you. So I stretch out my whole filled hands again. And he says this, this is how we repent, ready? I, if I love you, I rebuke and I chasten you, which means punish, so it means strong discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I got that when I was in Reading. I finally got it. Zeal creates repentance. I have never met a person who's changed history, planted 50 churches, hired stadiums, moved in faith, raised the dead, uh, married a dream person, given up everything for the gospel, a Heidi Baker. I know them personally. I know them all personally. I've never seen anything inside them except zeal. They never said, let's move to Africa for two months, then we'll go back to a house in America and we'll live in luxury and in poverty. They don't do it. They're zealous. They make quick decisions, big decisions. It might not be quick. It might take six months. They consider, they consider, and then they go, bam, and they make a decision. And so Jesus says to you and me, he's like, be zealous. Don't just say, I repent. Father's like, okay, then let's see. He's like, I love you. I'm trying to correct this and get this out of you so the future of glory that you were born for can be yours. And so the future of porn wasn't happening. It wasn't working for me. I hated myself. I became more ashamed, more self-condemned, and then I was trying to preach the gospel. It doesn't really work. So I started to get zealous, which meant this. I began to confess it to everyone, everyone. My mentor, my mentor's friends, I begin putting sin where it belongs, in the light. I begin to say, okay, cool, you want, you want to mess with my soul now? This has cost me 20-something years, nearly, yeah, 20 years of, of problems, of looking at women the wrong way, of judging myself the wrong way, of judging God. Like, it, it costs, it's just so many problems. And I said, from now on, you're the problem. And I put it in the light. And then I started reading books about sin and purity and sexual purity and and, and I, that was so humbling because everyone knew me as the powerful guy. He casts out devils. He's so anointed. And here I am in a men's purity group reading books on purity. <laughs> Very humbling. Then I confessed it more. And then I began to fast. I got zealous. I said, this is leaving my life. I don't care what happens. And then I woke up one day after the last time I watched pornography and I heard as clear as I can hear your voice if you were to talk to me, I heard of Jesus speak scripture to me. He didn't say, hey, good morning, Ben. Sometimes he does that. He's very loving and affectionate, Jesus. But he said to me, scripture, because I watched porn that night before, went to bed, woke up, still radical Christian. Everyone sees me as a radical Christian. Now I'm telling people everywhere that I've sinned. I'm starting to face it a little bit now. And I sinned again. And then I woke up and this verse from Timothy, very loudly, Timothy 2, came to my mind. If anyone names the name of Christ, let him depart from inequity. Jesus said his own Bible verse to me. <laughs> so you're going to name my name, son? You've got to go away from inequity. And I felt the fork. I felt the grace. I felt such love from God. I didn't feel condemned. I just felt like this is enough. Enough's enough. Enough games. And, and this doesn't just relate to sin. This can relate to the fact that we spend five hours a night on the phone and don't read the Bible. This can relate to the fact that we've lost our fire for God. This can be our job. Our J-O-B has become our G-O-D. You know? It doesn't matter what it is, but what matters is that your zeal will cause an internal change toward the Father with you. Because you can't pay back your sin, but you can put your ax to the root of it. And you can expose it to God. 
So I did that. I fasted. And guess what happened? I ended up weeping. Like one day, I put on Sons of Korah. They're my favorite <laughs> old band. And, and I, I end up, you know, them, they play Psalms. And, and I just end up weeping all for like 45 minutes. And it came out of here. You know when a girl breaks up with a guy and you hear her weeping or her virginity was taken and, and she's ripped apart. I felt like the weeping I had, my heart was broken by what I'd done. And for the first time, I felt that all of my sin was against God. Did you catch that? Of course it is, Ben. That's what we all know. No, we don't. When we sin, Father, forgive me. Father, clean me. It's still about me. Fix my life. And I got it. It ripped Jesus apart. I felt it. I was like, oh no, 20 years of this. It's ripped your flesh apart. And you love me still. How could you love me? How could you be this kind? So patient and faithful. Such a friend. And I got it and I just lost it weeping. And since that day, a 21 or 22 year addiction to all sexual sin has never happened once since that one day. Never. Because there was a zeal, that's the hand of God. See, there was a zeal inside me that turned. I turned, I went, that's wrong. And, and grace hit me. And, and then I, I kept, for the, for the next three months, I was on my phone like, what am I gonna, like how, I, I remember thinking, when am I gonna sin? I saw, a, I saw a couple kissing in a car park. And, and I was like, gross. <laughs> no, a non-Christian couple. I could see lust all of a sudden. I was so cleaned that I was really clean. I could see lust in people. I'm like, that's gross. That, that, he doesn't love, she doesn't love him. That's lust. It was gross to me. I was like, we weren't made for that. We can have sexuality, sexual Marriage can be, enjoy, it's, it can be glorious. It's deep love, passion. That's all godly. That's amazing fun. That's, I'm not saying it needs to be some stoic thing. But these people in the world just out there just trying to, it's like animalistic. It's not God's way. And I got it. And guess what happened? They anointed me. I think it was nine months later as a pastor. Isn't that awesome? And I became a pastor. But I was able to look them in the eye and say, my life's different. For the first time. I was able to look at them and say, my life has been changed. So God began to deepen that journey with me. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, and then we'll finish with this. God began to deepen that journey through the years with me. All the sexual immorality was gone. So I had one major, major thing left, and I couldn't kick it. It was the fear of marriage. And again, I went back to my old habit of denying it. And even had my mom and a few others say, it'd be good for you to go to counseling. And I'd give them scripture. I would tell them, but I'm the righteousness of God, mom. You don't understand. I'm a new creation. You, you got to understand this stuff. You, you know, I'm a preacher. You can confess that all day. Can I tell you something? Some of the Bethel pastors told me the worst students they ever dealt with are the ones who knew the doctrine of righteousness. Do you know Why? because they were so arrogant, high-minded, and like we're righteous, and they would not confess true sin. They wouldn't deal with the fact that they were bitter. They wouldn't do it. Now, that's not who I am. It's like, well, that's who you keep being. <laughs> you can say it's not who you am until, until you're blue in the face. You have to be changed by the Scriptures. It's not just knowing a doctrine, guys. God will not be like, well done. He's, he knows a lot better doctrines than we do. What He's looking for is a heart that's His, a yielded vessel, that understands the doctrine becomes flesh, it becomes cellular, and the doctrine leads me to fall in love with the Messiah who is the Word. So then I'm in love with the Messiah. Then the Messiah can do what? He can tell me how to live. He can help me. He can shepherd me. So God, I had my second encounter about 18 months ago in Orlando, Florida. I was preaching up there at a friend of mine's church called Jesus Image. And I was so annoyed that even though I was freed from sexual sin, all sin like that, for so many years that I, I couldn't get a wife and I'd just be praying, why can't I get a wife? And I had so many people pray for me and, and, uh, and I would go back and forth with a girl. And what I would do is I would get into her world and I would just be like, well, maybe. And then I'd, and I'd sort of be in fear then and I'm not sure. And, and, and because of that, 
I wasted women's time. I wasted God's daughter and her life and her time. Wasting time. And that's important. Time is a, is a commodity to God. Seed time and harvest. Times of refreshing. Time is very important to God. Fullness of time, the Messiah comes, you know. So I would get into their life and there's no sexual sin. There's no outward problem, but I wouldn't choose them. So I'd walk beside them for like a year and then just bam, I'm gone. And I'd break their heart. But then I'd be like, well, I didn't do anything because we weren't in a relationship, so it doesn't matter. And people would say, it's okay, because you have to see who you like and who you don't. Yeah, that's fine when you're healthy. But I wasn't healthy. And I got on, 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 on this call because I was in Orlando. I can remember it vividly. I was sitting in a, in a back area and just weeping again, uncontrollably weeping, saying, God, why can't I get married? And he said to me, ring your mentor. That's it. I rang my mentor, and every other time, these guys would tell me, well, I'm praying for you. God's gonna get the right one. And, but I was never fully honest with them, honestly. I never told them. I feel there's something inside me that is so deeply afraid of choosing the wrong person that, I, that I'm wasting people's time. I'm not dealing with this fear, see? So I rang him, and guess what he said? First sentence out of his mouth, 30 seconds in. He said, Ben, you need counseling. And I broke down. I just lost it, weeping. You see, I didn't like that. But I want to tell you, some of the people that preach the doctrines of righteousness to you are very close friends of mine, and they, they've been through counseling in the last two years. Do you know why? Because we, are, we have a soul. We can self-deceive. You can, you can preach and then you can become touched in one area and you're a bitter, offended person. You don't even realize you're offended. And then you're like, but I'm not offended. It's, it's just they've, they've done this to me. It's like, no, you haven't died. You, you've got a big fat wound and you cannot see it in your soul. Your spirit is righteous before God. I believe John Wesley's positional righteousness. You're right before God, but your soul is Romans 8, 29, which is being conformed to the image of the Son of God. You're being conformed to His ways, which means your soul has to become like the Lord, which comes through the Word. It comes through intimacy with God. But if you're not getting the breakthrough in that way and you're self-deceiving, it comes through a brother coming to you or a person giving you wise counsel. And that's very, very biblical that someone would have wives to counsel. I don't believe in grave digging for 400 years and finding out when my great, 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 great grandfather touched a Freemason's shoulder and now my whole family line's cursed. You will spend centuries trying to uncurse yourself. That is a waste of your time. You should only repent and break what God shows you. You don't go on like a fishing. I'm gonna fish in the ocean of God's forgetfulness and see what curses I can pull up through my family line. Now, you don't have to do that. You only deal with what the Spirit shows you. There's no biblical reference in the New Testament for that. But I'm not against that. If you're a counselor here, I just said to you, God told me to go to counselling. You're about to hear how powerful it was for me. But I am against us fishing for problems. But if the problem is sticking out like a plank in your head, which mine was, you may need the counsel of others and the sword of the Spirit through them to cut off the roots of lies that you have believed. And the amount of men that I've dealt with that are powerful men of God who don't know dad's love because their dad beat the crap out of them for 10 years when they were a little kid and yet now they have righteousness and they know the doctrine but at the same time something comes up in them when they're self-defensive, it's because their soul has never fully yielded to the goodness of God. So they need to forgive all those years or say, God, I give you any trauma that went into my head, self-defensive mechanisms that I grew up with. I give it to the, the cross. Because what if you did grow up with them? You can go and I'm a new creation. Yes, positionally you are. But does the Lord shepherd us? Is there a New Testament precedent where Paul says, leave this, do this, do that, rebuke a brother, correct, exhort? Why is he doing that? Because he understands we will have growth. We must grow. But I denied the growth. I was doctrinally stronger and weak in the reality of my doctrine. It wasn't real because I was denying the truth. Freedom comes from truth. What if you are bitter and controlling with your wife? How will you know when you're true about where you're at with, with that issue? 
until she turns to you or someone else does and says, you are abusive in your verbal things to me. And they go, no, I'm a strong believer. I'm a pastor. doesn't matter what you are. What matters is the fruit. So the fruit for me was I had this inward rebellion where God was saying, would you give up your fear? Would you work on this? Until my mentor said, do it. I knew it was the Lord. So I rang the counselor. The counselor wrote a book called Love After Marriage. He started a course that goes all around the world that heals marriages. His name is Barry Burns. And he's an amazing man of God, a man of the scriptures, actually. All we talk about every time we do counseling, he brings up like 20 Bible verses. The guy is deep in the word. But the very first counseling session I went to, I remember sitting there and I was terrified. And I thought, I'll probably only need one or two of these. I stayed in it for one year. Every two weeks for one year. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I'd be sitting there like this, and he'd be like, okay, we're just gonna pray. Because when you talked about that situation where you went on a date with that girl, it sounded like you had fear in your mouth. He goes, we're just gonna pray. Just say, Holy Spirit, show me if I have any anger toward women. Like that, I see five girls from my school that used to tease me and pick on me for like four years. And they were the ones who turned my whole class against me and teased me. I saw all their faces. And I'll never forget what happened. He said, would you forgive them and renounce any spirit of anger toward women? And like that, I felt, I don't know if it was a demon in me, I don't know what happened, but I can tell you, I can look in the eye and tell you, when I did some of these things in my car, all of a sudden it was like, bang, something came off my chest. And I was just, started weeping. And I felt changed because the truth changed me. Because I faced the truth and I took the truth in there. And I went in there with God. Hebrews 12 says this, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord in verse five. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Again, same thing as as Revelation three, for whom the Lord loves, he chases and he scourges. That's like a cutting iron. Scourges every son who he receives. So sometimes God is walking at you with a sword into the very area of your life you push back for years. The sword is covered in oil. It hurts and it heals at the same time. But it's a sword. It's, it's uncomfortable. And the Spirit of God was telling me, go to counseling. For years, people would come to me. I think you might need some prayer counseling. No, 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 no. Years. But until the fruit got big in my head, in my, the plank was like there, I was denying it. What are you denying? What are you pushing away? What have you said to to God, Father, I just ask you to change this and it doesn't change. Maybe it's time to not ask God anymore. Maybe it's time to literally just go as hard and zealous as you can in the direction of that problem. Just face it with God. And so I did that and I felt like God was right there. When I went to the very first session, I felt Jesus was in the counseling. And, And it was like this. Bam, walking into a sword. <laughs> you ready? Verse seven. This is why I'll finish with this. For if you endure chastening, <laughs> I wish I could have a better version of this verse for you, but it actually means punishment from God. <laughs> if you endure God smacking you, hello, boy, smacky, you know? That's what it means. So you can sing this, because it says God loves you if you endure it. So you can sing, yes, Jesus loves me, you know, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, his sharp sword is cutting me deep. (laughs) That's the proof. That's the proof. As many as I love, I I chasten and correct. If you're without chastening, does God still love you? If God can't talk to you in an area of your life, are you still close with him? This is what this verse says, verse seven. If you endure it, chastening, ready? Slowly read this. God deals with you as sons. Some of you are saved, but God can't deal with you as a son. He can't go into that area and go, here's my hand and watch me mold it. You're saved, but God can't come near that area. No, no, you'll keep that to you. And you just repeat the cycle. And you look back, where did my fruit go? 
God's like, my hand was here the whole time trying to bend you, bend the clay, but I couldn't deal with you as a son. The counseling for this area of my life went for like 12 months in total, or a bit more even, but that area was dealt with within like six months, three months even. It was once every two weeks I'd do a one-hour thing. <clears throat> that area, I got so much freedom. I, got, I started wanting to go on dates. It was amazing. Felt less, I felt no guilt, but I was clear. After going on dates, I was like, no. Like not to them, but inside. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, you get what I mean. I was like, that's not, that's not, this isn't gonna, that's not the future. Us, you're amazing. I'm, we, blessings. <laughs> Clarity. Clarity, truth, these things became, became virtues that my heart was longing for. Love, but, but most of all, guys, letting God father me through the process. Letting God father me through this area. Now, for some of you, it might be overeating or undereating, throwing your food up. For some of you, it might be God has told you to preach and you've been denying him like Jonah for five years because you have the fear of man. And you're like, but I want, and you, I, I know this because people come to me. They say, I want to do this for God and God has told me to, to share and be an evangelist. And I'm like, cool, so, so what do you want? And they're like, can you just pray your boldness? I'm like, how many times does that have to happen before God can get you and put his hand on you and put you on the street and you face your fears and you become bigger inside by just running over them. They become nothing. You look back, like I look back, I don't have the fear of man anymore. I'm like, that's gone. God's grace empowered me to run over it. Planning churches, we're gonna plan a great church. When? When you're 95? <laughs> I'm not speaking down to any of you. I'm, I'm trying to edify you. But I am trying to say this. If you continue in a cycle and don't let the light shine in that cycle, shame comes. When shame comes, it destroys fruit. And when fruit is destroyed, hopefully you turn back to God. Hopefully you find, kind of wake up and go, I've wasted 10 years. Because I can tell you, I've been from pulpit to pulpit, biggest pulpit to smallest pulpit, thousands of people in front of me, 25,000 people preaching, will not satisfy you. Being fathered by God, putting your head on the pillow, knowing you love the Bible, knowing you have integrity in front of God, these things make you feel amazing. Oh, it's so pure. And knowing your dad loves you. But I wanna make something very clear. Your father loves you right now, even while you've denied him a voice. Your father is still calling out to you, saying, I'd like to put my hand into that clay, and maybe this is the last chance, or maybe there's one or two more chances, but he still loves you, even if you've resisted him for 10 years. He still loves you. It was God in the garden, after Adam's sin, who said, where are you, Adam? Who was chasing Adam, who said, I will make clothes for them. It was God as a loving father. Adam, where are you? longing to be with his kids. God does not want to punish us, but he has a sword that cuts so deep that if you let him deal with you as a son, you'll actually inherit his promises. So here's my question before I pray. What area of your life <laughs> haven't you dealt with? And what is God telling you to do to deal with it. Some of you, it might be a 21-day fast. For John Bevere, it was. He was a Christian porn addict. He had to go away, and he fasted. By the way, he'd confessed his porn to about 20 worldwide leaders. He told them all. Didn't work. He had to be zealous. What about your marriage? Problems in your marriage. Who's going to fix them? You're gonna let him stay there for another 10 years? Won't be good in 10 years. I talked to a friend yesterday, Christian, said my mom just up and left my dad. I said, that she can't do that. She, she goes, I know. But they didn't deal with the issues. God will not give the next revival to orphans. You see them around the world, they keep dropping like flies, don't they? They keep falling, don't they? Big ministers, you know why? It's not because they were big. It's not because of the big pulpits and the big mega church they had. It's because along the road, God stood in front of them with his sword and they ducked. 
And then the next year, God came again. And they ducked. And they busied themselves away from fruit. And I don't blame them. God can even restore them. But he wants this next move of God to be given to true sons and true daughters who are mature, who can handle the fire, and who love the Holy Ghost so much that they'll obey him. And uh, I can tell you, I had the idol in my life of women. And I still struggle with it at times of like, God, I, I really want a wife. And I have to really go, you know, you are way more satisfying. I'll find her. And now I know not what to do. I know not what to do. I know how to follow you. And I'll find her. And I'm super close to my mentors. I'm like, I don't want to get distracted anymore. <laughs> I want to meet the perfect girl and all that stuff. One day it could happen tomorrow. It could happen today. It doesn't matter. Happens in two, three years. I could be skinnier when it happens. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's not happening. <laughs> but I think what I'm saying to you is the point that I'm trying to get at is when will you be changed? Why can't it start today? Can God begin to father you today? Can you be zealous and repent today and just start and he will pour the abundance of grace over that area of your future. And you'll come back to me next year at Awakening Australia and go, bro, I haven't looked at porn once. Bro, I've been on the street every day since that day. I haven't, I've still got fear, but I went after it. Now I have hardly any fear left. You'll be fruitful. And most importantly, your life will be pleasing to God. Would you close your eyes? Maybe I'll turn the camera off now if it's okay. Bye. <laughs> close your eyes too. <laughs> All right. Would you close your eyes because it could get very real. I'm just going to have Marcel come and move the pulpit for me. Just move it up on the stage there. Thank you, champion. I, um, If anyone, just please close your eyes, just out of respect. If there's anybody here and you know that you're denying the Lord, just get the keys player to come up. You're denying the Lord. You're denying him the sword and his powerful hand. time to be very real with him. You don't have to be somber and you don't have to work out your own repentance and make it in your strength. I want to be clear with that. You just have to come and go, Daddy, I've avoided you for years, thrown up my food, used women, used men, keep secretly drinking, online gambling, Whatever it is, whatever is filling you more than God. I'm going to ask a few questions. Every eye, please, closed. And just so before I ask, you know, they are closed. I can see everyone's eyes are closed. Put up your hand if you're living in sexual immorality and you have not let God father you out of this and you want to be free. I, I see your hand. I see both your hands. Yep, many hands. I see them. Keep, put your hand up. No one can see you, literally. It's just me. Yep, I see you. You're living in sexual sin and you want to be free. Okay, that's many hands. You can put it down now. Put your hand up if you're using women and, um, or men and that's the cycle of your life and you get your value from that and that's your cycle and you, you want to be free of that tonight. Just put your hand up high. If you use people, Put your hand up if you secretly drink or take drugs and you know it's not a secret, God's watching. And, or you go partying and you're living a double life a little bit and you want to be free, you want God to father you. Just put your hand up. There's no one watching again. Put your hand up high. I can't see it if it's just halfway up. Just put it up high. There we go, I see you. Anybody else? Don't miss this moment because what shame will do, shame's purpose is to cause you to change. But what shame also does, or the enemy does with shame, is he says, don't change. Stay there. Stay in the dark. God calls you. Is there anybody else? You're living a double life. 
you feel it and you go to clubs or you drink or you smoke weed or whatever and you want to be free. Yeah, I see you. Good job because you're, that's beautiful. Okay, last one. Is anybody here and you know you have an area of your life where you're not letting God father you? And you know that area. You can feel it. You're like, yep, I'm not letting him in there. Put your hand up high. That's like most of the people here. Okay. That's a lot. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to humbly and boldly to believe right now for the power of the anointing to deliver you of any demon spirit that is holding on to you and causing a false repentance. But I'm going to ask again, if you felt like you should have put your hand up and you didn't because of fear, maybe people know you, maybe you... If you, put your, if, if you didn't put your hand up because of fear, I'm gonna give you the opportunity again. God is watching you. No one can see you except the Lord. And you know, I wanna be free. Put your hand up high right now if you know that it's you. Okay, I can see many more hands. If that is you, come down the front as fast as you can. Run down here and believe that the Lord will deliver you today. Run down, even if you're on the worship team. Run down here. Doesn't matter. I have to repent. I still feel that I have to give more. Come all the way down. Come kneel before the Lord. We're going to pray. Please don't put your hand up and then stay there because that just proves to you you're protecting this. Don't protect it. Just come forward before God. Nobody else here cares. Everyone else who's sitting down is going to begin to pray for your transformation. Just come forward. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come forward and just ask the Lord Jesus today, Father me, Father me, Father me, cleanse me, Dad, make me brand new, Father me. I want all of you who are sitting there just to begin to pray in the Spirit for them as they're up here at the front. Just begin to pray. God, touch them deeply. Begin to pray out loud because I don't want us to be protective in this moment. If we protect this sin and go, I'm going to be very quiet and not going to let God touch me deeply, that's the worst thing to do. We're here for an encounter. So let's pray this all together. Say this, say, Father God, I repent of holding on. And tonight I invite you to father me in this area of my life. I want to let go of it and I want to be made whole. Put your hand to me tonight. Deliver me of any demon, any stronghold, any addictive behavior. Deliver me of any cycle that is in my life and set me free tonight. Okay, church, begin to pray for them. Just begin to pray. The Lord's gonna powerfully deliver these ones. In the name of Jesus, I break this off now. I command all of it to leave.